0: Just wanted to add uh, that this is uh, the book "Chasing Perfection" by Ben Glockner, and it's copyright 2016. So it's kind of an analytics book, but it's also just um, gives more of like a general overview of the technology available to players, coaches, and teams, um, in terms of um, creating perfected players. Uh, so I just wanted to start off with that. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. But, um, you know, I mean, this was not my favorite book that we've ever read. But I do, like, I read it. And then I, I did sort of have some of the concepts. Like, as I've been watching, I've been watching, like, a ton of League Pass. Um, and a ton of different teams and stuff. And I think some of the concepts, like, came back at me. In a way where I thought about a more, you know, and, um, my husband just had an emergency spinal surgery. So some of like the, the, uh, physical therapy stuff, like, and the P three stuff I was finding really interesting. Cause I was kind of going through it in a different way with him at the same time. Where he's just like a civilian dude right but they were saying like the physical therapists were saying your hamstrings are like so tight this is like part of the reason why you have a back problem you know so Mm -hmm. it's sort of tied in to like that kind of idea that like oh your right side is so much weaker than your left side and here's this like slew of exercises that you can do to like stave off injury and you know keep your knee healthy and all that kind of stuff so that stuff I found really interesting. I just kind of wrote out like each chapter and like summarized it on a slide. I have the Kindle too that we can pull up, but I don't know like how in depth we want to go. Um, um and I'll just like go through it chronologically if, if unless you guys have specific parts you want to talk about off the bat.
1: Yeah, I have a few notes I'd like to just briefly go over.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Um, I thought this book was insightful. I didn't think it was entertaining or engaging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was hard to get through. Uh yeah. I, don't, I, I didn't finish. I have like 40 minutes left in the audio book, but so I'm mostly done. Um, the The best chapter was on the, the P3, the, the motion, the kinematics. Um, that stuff is really interesting to learn about. Um, I took a robotics class once and that robotics class, I was really surprised. Almost all of it was on motion and kinematics. Um, so seeing that knowledge be like implemented in, you know, in a sport I enjoy is is interesting because I don't normally think about kinematics outside of the context I've learned the context I've learned about it. But obviously, yeah, when we're dealing with people who are running and in motion, kinematics are pretty important. Um, I thought the uh, load management bit was pretty interesting too because when we hear load management, it feels like an abstract thing. Like, oh, load management is just taking guys off for rest but the way they explained it in as regards in certain elements of the it's not just the game that's load management, it's practice it's rest i thought that was insightful travel because, yeah travel, because we hear this stuff the phrase all the time but it's never really explained proper in the right context
0: i totally agree i'm not did you get and i, I think it may have been at the very end um Uh, where he talks about the it might have been in the the very end warriors chapter where he talks about the Cavs warriors series in 2015 and he talks about the load that lebron is carrying throughout the series Mm -hmm. and i thought that was well he does this several times throughout the book where he'll have like this whole chapter and it'll sort of tell these like anecdotal kind of stories to like explain what he's talking about and then there'll be some place later on in the book where somebody else will like like shane battier will come back and say like yeah but all this biometric stuff is kind of a violation of privacy you know like there'll be someone else later on who will say something relevant about what he's previously explained and and Mm -hmm. that for me was Was an interesting throwback to the load management stuff, Um, and I think it's extremely relevant in this season of super teams that are built around aging and injury-prone superstars. Yeah, because every time you, it's like a cascading effect of if you have your number one star go out with an injury, right? Then the load, or you know, the usage, or what, however you want to term it, be, becomes that much more on your remaining star. Now, can you stack enough stars on a team to avoid that becoming problematic? Maybe, maybe the Clippers did that. We'll see, right? Um, or maybe, you know, maybe these stars won't follow their normal injury trajectory this season. Which I think is unlikely because most of them are in their ten, you know, tenth year at least of their career. Um, I like it, to believe it, that if, get um, lucky
1: at least one season where the stars align and they're both of them are finally healthy for once. Yeah. Um, I, I think if it's gonna happen, it'd be this season. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. That. That's. Th- those are really great. Uh, I, I agree with you. I found those two to be the most compelling parts of the book. The, the, um, ki- what did you call it? Kinesthetic.
1: Kinematics.
0: Kinematics, and that's the same thing as kinesiology, right?
1: Yeah, it's all kinesiology, okay. but the kinematics are the like mechanics of it. Uh, I what was the other phrase used? Kina.
0: Uh, it's there's it's there's kinesiology yeah. and he uses is something else in here but I can't remember what it is but
1: it's Yeah so kinesiology is the study of it and right, okay. is the like math or mechanics of it Gotcha Yeah
0: Yeah um and I know like it was interesting too like I had read the part about that and then on the, the same day that the article came out about James Harden um, like he wanted to travel with the team, but they were like, no, you can't travel with the team because all your tracking stuff is set up at the, we didn't bring it with us. Right. So if you want to train, you have to go to the, the, um, home training, whatever, can't, you know, building, because that's where all your tracking
2: stuff is.
0: Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting, um, in the sense that, it's built up a lot more at this point where teams are using it regularly. And I think it's more, I know like in the bubble too, a lot of the players had those rings, those aura rings or whatever, where they were like, it was like tracking their biometrics in the bubble. Um, I don't know why in the bubble would be that much different. I mean, I think I remember it being funny because Jimmy Butler drank like millions of cups of espresso all the time. Like he's a mad coffee fiend. And so they, people were like speculating that his aura ring was going to be, you know, whacked out, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I thought was funny. Anything else in your notes, Cove?
1: Yeah, um, I have a few other things in the notes. Well, but the the biggest takeaway for me is, is – i've always been fat like i've always been fascinated by the the data analytics of basketball um like if if i wasn't in my current job role in my major if i had to redo college i'd probably go into data analytics sure, yeah. and and especially nowadays like when we were talking about all these ai stuff uh that's all data science, data analytics, the, yeah. the, the, the machine learning, crunching these numbers. thats Basketball is one of the most well-known applications of data science. And, and it's interesting to see just how important this stuff is. Um, like, like, and, and like, a lot of this stuff wouldn't have been possible in the past. Like the, they mentioned second spectrum, like a pick and roll compilation. So yeah. that's a machine learning application where they'd they scan the video and chop all the parts that are relevant. You'd be able to search that. That That's incredible stuff. That's like really advanced technology that we're, we're, we're seeing get more accessible thanks to this AI revolution.
0: And I think, I mean – Sadly, he used the Sacramento Kings as like the example <laughs> of how information can like not reach its end point accurately, yeah. you know, or like the human element fails at a certain point of the system. Like,
2: I think yeah. he meant to just, I think he meant to use the Kings as a good example. And then he, he and had then all, the Kings, this, Kings. all this information yeah. to present and he yeah. didn't want to waste it. So it's like, but they screwed it
0: all up. <laughs> then they so. fell off a cliff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pito sandro that, room, <laughs> Looking back <laughs> on this, like when I when I started that chapter and I heard the words Pietro Sando, yeah, I'm, no, yeah,
2: God damn it, <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to end well. I know. Yeah. Already.
0: <laughs> so classic, man. Uh, yeah, no, I thought that that discussion, as far as it being like a disclaimer on just trying to like blanket everything in analytics. Like mm-hmm. I thought the discussion that he had about it was really good. And, and like I said, I also thought that the um, then later on when he talks to Shane Battier, I thought Shane Battier had really interesting stuff to say, you know, about Shane Battier. Jeff Van Gundy. OK, like I, I watched a lot of 90s basketball. So I know Jeff Van Gundy from being the coach of the Knicks you know, and being a coach, not being a broadcaster. Um, And I loved him. And Shane Battier talks about how um, Jeff Van Gundy was really good at diluting stuff, right? And like bringing it down to like its simplest form and then presenting it in a way that made a lot of sense to the players. And like, I know I've heard other stories about him just sitting the team down and going, I need you to do this, this, and this. I need you to do this, this, and this. And um, I know that's not, it's not completely analytics, but I think that was a big part of the message is that unless people understand the message that you're presenting and you can weed out like what is relevant and from what is irrelevant, all of this data collection is, it's great, but it's not going anywhere, right? It's stuck in the pool where you collected it.
1: There's there's a reason they they call IT information technology um, because data is just numbers, but but the actual useful information is what matters. Yeah, that's, that's uh, so. I think the biggest takeaway from this book is that everyone uses data analytics and these big numbers and stuff, but the difference between uh, a good team like everyone uses it but the difference between them is how well they convey it yeah that like analytics is just a part of the modern game it always will be and 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 pretending it isn't like pretending that that one team is an analytics driven team is is lying to yourself but but there's a difference you know conveying information the human element of it is is the most important
0: yeah and that consistency and coordination of like from the very top, you know, the owner to the front office, to the, like, there has to be some level of consistency and coordination that remains, you know, that that's, and also I think longevity, like he uses the spurs over and over again. I think we always look at the spurs as like this successful organization over, you know, millions of years. Like, does that mean they've been winning the whole time not really it means that they've had this like extremely solid human chain from the top down right um mm-hmm. yeah yeah anything else
1: well, that's all my notes
2: Johnny, I have a couple of things thoughts yeah, I have, a, yeah, I have a couple of things not much so I, can, I think I can get them all out pretty quickly here uh, I hope uh yeah, like Kevin was talking about, you know, I wonder how the generative AI that we've seen recently with uh, ChatGPT and Bard is gonna is gonna impact, uh, you know, because because the the, the, the the right now they say on page thirty five that uh, the other thing we can do is because we have a computer that understands the data, we've also done some algorithms that allow the computer to understand the video. So you know, a, a generative AI that can understand the video understand the the plays, you know, and learn how to do, how to explain these plays can like, and then of course it says, I think above that it says, or I think uh, I didn't put that in my thread, but uh, there's another paragraph where they talk about, they can look at a a 10,000 plays in a couple of minutes or what a seconds or whatever it would take, you know, a lot quicker than any human could look at it. Even the best X's and O's mind in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. person who knows the most ball yeah. do it as fast as the journey of AI. Maybe a little bit better than Generative AI, but not as fast for sure all that data. So uh that's interesting. I uh, this is, I mean this is this is whatever I guess uh 7 years ago but more like 8 years ago. And right. um, now we have Generative AI out in the open, so I'm sure Daryl Morey jumped on that to like get his own version of ChatGPT for I, his team and-
1: Yeah, I I I wonder if if generative AI I'm not sure how important it'll be in general because they have all these models and stuff. So, I mean, they have all these machine learning stuff, so that might not be super important, but if you can if you have players that are interested in learning this stuff, they don't have to go to their video guy. They could theoretically open one of these if they made a generative AI basketball thing, it right. might make it might make it more accessible to the the individual players. But I think I think the existing chain of data analytics people probably not using the the generative ai stuff
0: Mm -hmm. i'm interested i mean i think you can go too far with it too right just like anything like this is i mean i every book that we've read every analytics book that we've read and including this one i would say has this disclaimer of like this is this information is extremely useful to like verify things that you already know or evaluate things that you're trying out right but yeah using it as like the answer to all things without like also eye test and um you know um legacy knowledge and all of that stuff is is kind of pointless that's not gonna you know it's just a part of the puzzle of you know player evaluation and um th- all of that kind of stuff so i, I think that's an important the chat i, I mean and then let me also say i don't know shit about chat gpt so i have no idea if it would um You know, like uh, Blake was saying that he has, you know, Snoop read his business papers to him um, (laughs) with ChatGPT. Like, I I think I'm probably more interested in that kind of, like, novelty use of it, you know, than in, like, could Muggsy Bogues beat Victor Wembanyama by going through his legs? Like, that's the kind of thing I would look up on it. (laughs) (laughs) I I would be bad at it, I think. (laughs)
2: Okay. Well, I, I don't know. It's just conversational. It just, it just, it just go over, over answers your question and just conversationally tells you like an over, over yeah, over answer to the, the
1: thing with generative AI is it, it basically it, well AI in general is think of it as processing. You, you have one input and you want it to theoretically get to your correct output. So yeah. So generative AI it basically tries to predict the output you want. Uh, it has a big problem of lying to you. Um, hallucinations. So, so, don't use it as like a, a search engine. Or, yeah. So,
0: don't what do use
1: you mean, it as. Like it adds
0: extra information or. It yeah. yeah it it
1: places false information into its output okay. because it thinks it wants, it thinks that's what you want. Yeah. Uh, it has no basis for truth other than the results it's seen so far. So, uh, but it doesn't like fact check or anything. So, so I. I, oh. I th- that that's the kind of thing is like right now it's not reliable for any like real business application. Yeah. So, okay. But next uh, thing I saw was, um,
2: there's a section on the Spurs and how, uh, I guess in 2013, 14, so the 14 season, really 14 playoffs, they, um, they play their starters, not much as, not as much as you would expect. And they played their bench a lot more than you would expect, or I mean, not being a lot more, but they played them a lot. And they had the same record that they would have had that they had in prior years, or I'm, I'm losing a lot of the, the, the information there. I just had this one highlight highlighted in my Twitter thread, but um, yeah, they had the same, the same, pretty much the same record or a good record, you know? And I think that's most important, obviously, to be healthy in the playoffs and um, to be you know, have enough energy in the playoffs to be able to to do well there. So, I mean, if you can get a good, rec, good enough record in the regular season, I don't even care that much about the playoffs. I mean, we saw last season. Well, I, and was there, many...
0: I mean, I think part of that, uh, I just tried to pull it up, but I don't know wheres where it is in the book exactly. But, I mean, part of their um, theoretical uh or theory going into doing that was, yeah, like you said, be ready for the playoffs, but also because their stars were getting older, and so they wanted to, like, decrease the load of their stars.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah, that, that'll that be interesting applied to this season if we see something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean it was I on page 50, the 50s, the early 50s. Is the early
2: 50s. That. Yeah, 54 is where my where my highlight comes from, page 54.
0: I wish this stupid uh, uh.
2: 48, 48 through whatever, 50
0: something. 48. Oh, yeah. See, I think mine might be different because that's where, let's see, with every NBA team having equal access to raw sport view data.
2: Oh, I'm on the Kindle. And I don't know if it's an old version. Yeah, I, am I too. bought this book a long time ago. Oh, except in the
0: areas of player health and wellness, which is why, according to a growing number of NBA personnel, developments in that area will ultimately will dwarf the current evolution of on-court strategy. See, I wonder how outdated his discussion of load management is. Like, I feel like that discussion about the way that the Spurs, that we know load management started with the Spurs, right? They're they're, um, sitting guys out. Um, and then using them less minutes than normal. Like one of them, I think in here, he says like, they sat, I think, Tim Duncan out one night and the reason was old, right? Like, it's not, they're load managing, right? And, um, but I wonder how much what he says here has changed to now, because the, the whole philosophy of it is that like, this kind of con concept that um you know guys playing more is a way bigger load but then i think there started being like the more of a conversation last season maybe partially due to like the kings being successful i know like um paul george had said it is like practicing more and playing more regularly might actually preserve you from injuries because your body is prepared for the load, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's some in happy condition. medium
0: there that I don't think they actually have completely quantified yet, you know? Um
1: like and- like all scientific thing, the the stance, the like not all of this is like truth, right? Like yes. there's there's various opinions upon it. And in 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 back in 2014, 2015, there was no opinion. Because the the only opinion was the the Spurs coaching team, right? And the only yeah. one doing it. So so now that we've seen it across a lot of teams, we're seeing various different opinions and stances on it. Yeah, um, and and I'm sure they have so much more data on this stuff than they they did back then like like the book was talking about biometrics who should own the biometrics and information about how how the player should own that stuff and how it's a uh if they have these like you know rings and stuff it's a violation of their own privacy or whatever but i'm sure they're getting a lot more health data irrespective of uh so i'm sure the load management like Analytics has changed a lot since the now, and I'm sure there's a lot of stronger opinions on it on, in these teams than there are now. I, I'm I sure. mean, it
0: does like I, I just feel like, I, I and mean, maybe this is totally wrong, but it seems like the league superstars are playing older and older, like skewing older and older. Um, maybe that's not totally true. Like obviously Kareem played forever. He was like 41 or something when he stopped playing, but
1: I think players primes have definitely extended. Right. I
0: I agree. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm trying to, I think what, that's what I was trying to say there is that. And, and so, I mean, what, what consideration do you need to give to somebody who's 35 over somebody who's 20? You know what I mean? Like, those are two really different things in Mm -hmm. physiology yeah and um so he I mean he doesn't talk about that a lot in here aside from the Spurs stuff where he does talk about age um but he also I mean I think the stuff that he talks about Kyle Korver too he talks about Kyle Korver becoming the perfected player right and like there's all these different factors that went into that but as Kyle Korver's career went on, he got better and better because of all these different factors. Um, uh, I mean, partially it was cause of his work et- ethic. Right. And some of mm-hmm. it was random. Like he had some random injury that helped him, helped him obtain like the perfect shooting form. Um, and then he went to P3 after an injury and he learned how to like be more balanced. He learned this, you know, sit back on your heels thing from KD. Um, so obviously, age can make you a lot better too, but can it make you able to uh, sustain higher loads? And and that's the part that I think is questionable. You know, I mean, again, this is like a conversation that's happening right now with the Lakers too, where they're like, oh, we're gonna play LeBron thirty minutes a game, and like that's all we're gonna play him and. And, like, he hasn't played 30 minutes a game in any game because they can't win with him playing 30 minutes. They have to have him play 40 minutes, right?
2: Yeah.
0: So it's like, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? But it's like, you know, will that be detrimental to the team in the long run? I mean, will he be able to maintain that load for the entirety of the season? There's other stuff that factors in, obviously. Will they trade, make trades? You know, all that kind of stuff, too. Um, but the fact remains that he's playing a shit ton of minutes so they can barely, barely eke out wins, you know?
1: He's playing out of his mind, too, like MVP oh, yeah. caliber at what age 37, 38, something
0: like 30, that. 38. I
1: yeah, it, we've never seen anything like it. Everyone his age is barely in the league at this point the the vince carter dirk Nowitzki's like when you're in your high 30s this is this is basically never seen before yeah someone who's be, yeah someone who's be able to to play at that caliber at this age
0: yeah so i didn't mean to bring the lakers up i hate talking about the lakers um but i do you know i did think about it uh relative there's a lot of i'm on threads and not twitter so on threads there's like not a there's not a million NBA fans. There's just, I don't know, there's a few hundred that I've found. And so a lot of them are like Lakers or Warriors, you know, because those are yeah. the ma- major concentration of fan bases. So I just like listen in on their conversations sometimes via thread. Um, and that was like a major concern of a lot of the Lakers um, threadies that I... I. Um... Are they
1: as toxic as Lakers spaces are?
0: no not at all like the when De'Aaron got hurt that game when he went down like i don't have a lot i don't have a lot of mutuals that are lakers fans i have like probably 15 lakers mutual fans and every single one of them was like oh my god please don't let him be hurt like they were all super cool like they weren't dickheads and they didn't get personal about it and um i'd like to say that's the same for the warrior fans but there's a i had to unfollow a bunch of them not because they were toxic though just because i couldn't really i couldn't really handle the I mean, we play the Warriors like so many fucking times. was like, like 12
1: times in 17 games. They have to I, do like, that
0: weird that. showboat shit after every single game where it's like, oh, rock the baby, night-night, too small, what the hell ever all that stupid stuff is. Like, you won a regular season game. Like, you don't have to have a celebration dance. You know what I mean? It's just so annoying. So anyways, I unfollowed them because of that, not because they were toxic, though. Um, and there's no spaces there, so you know, I'm sure that it could get toxic if given the opportunity um yeah. and there's no rust there right now <laughs> which helps. um go so go ahead, John, I think we got off yeah, there.
2: yeah, um next thing I have was um okay, depth okay, so um, he went through a lot of prospects in his prospect section, like trying to pick out prospects and going like to, to age 13 or 14 at USA basketball. But, um, a lot of the people he wrote about, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight and, you know, a lot of them didn't really, and you guys may disagree with me on some of these players, but a lot of these players didn't turn out to be, you know, all-stars at least. And that's really? uh, like kid Gilchrist, Tony Roden, Jabari Parker, jo- Jill Okafor, Otis Jones, Justice Winslow. I mean, they're NBA players, some of them, but uh, most of them, but um, they, they just kind of didn't work out and my kind of – they kind of didn't work out as they were hoped to, like being in USA basketball when they were in their teens. But the way I saw it is that maybe that, you know, when you're in your teens, obviously athleticism is going to be – athleticism shows before skill is developed, you know, like creates great skill is developed. That's, that's my theory. So, like, you know, these guys were great athletes in their teens, and, and they're able to just, like – Annihilate teams with their athleticism on USA basketball and um, they were developing their skills, but then other other players like, for example, Steph Curry, or whoever else is really skillful, could uh, develop skills later on in their career and by the time they get to the NBA or a little bit a few years into it, they're, they're the better I'm player So
0: curious like I really wonder if he would if he were to write this book today, who would be the most perfected player wouldn't it be Steph Curry like Who has evolved the most over their career? Or it could be LeBron, or it could be, I mean, people who have really taken, I mean, Sprawlball did this too, where they took like LeBron and like, here's how he started as a player. And then he figured out that he needed to like become a part of the three point game, right? So he figured out how to play make for shooters or like Steph, like having bad ankles, like he completely, changed his his uh his shooting right even though it was already good he still broke his entire form and rebuilt it and became even better so i just i guess i wonder like is there is there more perfected players than kyle korver kyle korver can't be the penultimate perfected player can he I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to say Kyle Korver was a bad player. I'm just saying he was
1: perfect in what he was doing. It right. Was the was what they were trying to do. I, I I think Steph is as good as like you can get in regards to off ball like threat, right? And uh, but he has an on ball game as well as that. So yeah, you know, it, it's really hard to to. I mean, Jokic will absolutely have to be mentioned and.
0: Uh. Yeah, that's a good but,
1: one too yeah. well i think what he meant by it was um perfected player was to
2: maximize their all the avenues for them to be as good as they can be kyle was not the best player obviously yes. even yeah. at any time in his career but um he was uh in his guy's opinion he was the most perfected the best made they made the most of his gifts and like and learn new things and did the health stuff at the with san diego or wherever or santa barbara or yeah was um did the hell stuff there you know his family there did like every summer Whatever, like
0: like weird. and then at the very end he like goes oh and then he goes on some kind of like whacked out oh yeah like kayaking trip or some shit. like what some <laughs> of
2: the sharks or something like that something crazy that is like, like
0: that. okay i'm from santa barbara it's like the whitest richest town in the world it's yeah. super beautiful but it was cracking me up that he was like describing how to get to P three from the wharf. Like what? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah, that and, was that was ridiculous. Like,
0: I don't need directions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, yeah, like the the very end where he talks about how Kyle Corber went on some like kind of weird kayaking trip to the Channel Islands, which uh, that's just that is like the whitest shit I've ever heard in my life. Like that is, <laughs> that's so Santa Barbara. Like I can't even
2: anyways. <laughs> okay. Probably in my opinion, my most important thing, cause I always,
1: Oh, I, I did want to loop back on the, yeah. the, the, uh, um, discussion about prospects. I mean, there are guys yeah. that are analytic starlings that have really worked out in the NBA. Um, so however, and obviously was one, um, Desmond Bain was another analytic starling. Mm. Um, he's been working out. I mean, there's a lot of guys, prospects, that that analytics really loves. I mean, and and they've worked out. And even in this book, there was three guys, um, Westbrook, Hardin, and Vucevic, that were mentioned in regards to, like, prospects that are analytic starlings that, like, were picked because of the analytics. So, so I'm not sure if, if this book was entirely out of busts, but, but yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of busts here. Yeah.
2: Well, I would say uh, the USA Basketball was were those guys that I mentioned. They were USA Basketball uh, picks, and I don't know if USA Basketball was using analytics to pick those guys. I don't, I, mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think so. But they said they were. But... A lot
1: of people are putting the blame on AAU basketball nowadays, in regards yeah. like American prospects not being amazing. If we're going to talk about USA basketball, Chet Holmgren right now would be the, the guy to talk about. He, was, he yeah. was a USA basketball guy, and look look at him now.
2: Yeah. La- like- most important thing I think that I want to talk about is uh, bring up the book. It's on page 93, if you are my book at least. But it's about guys that don't look good that still perform well. So, I mean, if you can find a star that's, that doesn't look good, but he performs well, according to analytics, the, the data, then information, then uh, great. But I mean, whatever. Role players, whatever. It's like Moneyball, you know. If you guys read Moneyball, there's this dude in there that has this like. He looks like he's a, he's a, he's a guy that watches baseball on on his couch and drinks beers and potato chips for five hours a day, you know. But he gets on base percentage is really good, and he gets a lot. He, he gets a lot of walks. He gets he gets a good decent number of hits. He's a good. Like He's an effective player. He's not going to be a star, perhaps, but he's doesn't look like – and if you saw the movie, too, like the scouts are like, oh, man, this is a great-looking guy. He's, he's tall. He's got a great stance. He's got – you know, he, he runs real <laughs> fast, you know. Like all these things that like they look good to the scouts, but do they actually perform well in the games? Like they get on the base. Yeah. So like to, to basketball, you know, similar thing, you know. If they if – like this the, the guy they have, but my example in my, in my uh, thread is uh, – is John Gillen, I never heard of him, but he's probably, I think he's in in, in uh, college basketball, but he doesn't look like a good defender, but is the stats show that when well, they're able to tell that he, that people don't score on him. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's kind of like- No, it's the, like, the, the, I the... think
0: Sasha's the perfect example. I think everybody was like, was like, oh, Sasha's gonna be a terrible defender. Like he's horrible. And then you like actually, Like it looks awful. It does not look like it's working, but I guarantee you it's working. You like start digging into his advanced stats. He has like one of the best deflection rates on the team. Like he, I think this is more about our team than it does. Sasha though, unfortunately it's, it doesn't look right, but it's right. Right now you had the benefit of like getting him from a totally different league where he had to prove himself. Right so that's kind of a different thing but I totally get what you're saying is like finding those and I think Desmond Bain is probably the perfect example of it where like people are like "Ew, he doesn't have the right body like he's not you know how is he supposed to shoot with Tyrannosaurus Rex arms or whatever but it's like he does you know it works yeah yeah um sadly not enough to help them win but at the moment um but yeah no for sure and I I looked I was just searching through this too because this book had notated I wish I could find the um the quote but they were saying when the this the the Kentucky experiment chapter which is this for future perfected players he says that that the stats that are most valued by the NBA that, that are thought to translate the best at this time, right. Are rebounding percentage, um, yeah. and blocks and, uh, rebounding percentage blocks and assists. And I don't think that's true anymore. I think that the stats that people look at, or it was really fashionable to look at blocks and steals for a while stocks, right. And i think that's even changed more now i don't know what the new sort of hip stat to look at is but um
1: i am I'm, I'm pretty sure that blocks and rebounds probably still convey really well if, if you're good at i don't you have... yeah
0: yeah i totally agree i don't think those are a bad thing to look at and assists as well i mean those are great things to look at i think it's more of a matter of like how much are you weighting them in your evaluation? Yeah. You have to put a weight. On,
1: I, I remember uh, that, that for prospects, if you're working, if you're trying to figure out how good a shooter is, you should be looking at the free throw shots instead of the yeah. three point shots because three points don't particularly translate well into the NBA game. Right.
0: Um,
1: I, I'm sure there's a lot like that. Yeah. Where, where the, the raw box numbers, you know, points and stuff don't v- translate at all right um, well and
0: so much of it is is um opponent right I mean yeah. it you know like I'm trying to think of uh, Marquise Noel right he's like this tiny 5'9 guard um from New York who's playing on Toronto's G League team yeah. like he's freaking awesome but throw him in the you know in the NBA draft combine he's still super fun he's too small like and now have there been great nba players that are too small absolutely like i'm a huge fan of those guys like i love all those guys i love you know like mugsy earl boykins like you know nate like uh, yeah um but you have to be so exceptional to overcome an impediment like that because everyone else is bigger right because of what your opponent um is like and that's what's really hard to evaluate in my opinion um you know from league to league or from college to nba
1: i i wonder how how the the new leagues i'm sure they have to rebuild all this in regards to like translating from g league translating from the nbl translating from euro league the games you know there's a lot more places players are coming from now so I'm yeah. sure this, that part of the job is a lot, quite a bit harder.
0: Yeah. Or then you like, or then you like, I, I see somebody like Wemby is it's like, you just watch him play. It doesn't really matter who he's playing with or where he's playing. I mean, I think there is some like, oh, it's not going to translate. Maybe just cause he's so thin. But on the other side of it, it's like, he can do shit that I've never seen somebody like that doing. Yeah. So that translates regardless, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. How do you stop that? You can't. Like, the only thing you can do is, is like, do something totally wacky. Like, I mean, he, I guess, like, that comes down to the, to geometry, right? It's the yeah, geometry. He has an eight-foot wingspan.
1: How are you going to, like, you can block yeah, anything. Like, yeah. the, the, the range, his zone of blocking is just... Longer than people expect.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, you or have like, to get the matchup so that he's on the somewhere on the court. You you want him to be the best place you can, the best of the the best of the worst of the bad places. You know. Yeah. You want him to be if you if you could try to get them to to put him there, get yeah. Popovich to put him there on a possession. You know. Well, and it also establishing
0: something. and using his gravity, right? So that was like I watched all the Spurs games so far, where in like the first half of most of them they have not specifically gone to Wemby for any points. They just rely on him to get rebounds and make his own points off those. And then they'll start feeding him later on in the games. Um, okay. Because they're, I think what he's trying to do is, is, well, they're playing like, I think, all read and react, first of all. But secondly, I think what they're trying to do is is negate Wemby's gravity until the second half and then teams have to adjust to it um but that's totally theoretical obviously it's fun as hell to watch
1: yeah yeah he's so much fun to watch uh I, i've just been thinking the only way you can really get by Wemby is either you have you you blow well, buy him because he's kind of slow-footed you know he's a seven footer so i i mean he's nimble for seven four but he's slower yeah. than a deer and fox so if you can if ever great cutter he, they'll still he's be just able to
0: score. so freaking long though like yeah. he blocked a shot from he was like basically on the perimeter and the shot went up and he blocked it in front of the basket. Yeah. Like he can just get there so much faster than anybody else. Right.
1: And uh, then I'm, I'm assuming like, it, it seems like big size, like physical play kind of bothers him too. But that's, that's the only That's thing. my
0: theory is that like, I, I know that in FIBA uh, kind of often kind of dominated him. Like, mm. Um, so my theory is you got to play like a thick dude or a tiny dude. Like there was a couple minutes in the sun's game, where there was like a whole game happening that was too low for Wemby to reach. Like he, it was, it was happening like underneath him and he couldn't get into the action cause it was literally too low. Um,
1: I think that's yeah. probably something he could adjust to. That's just a scouting. I do too. Thing, yeah, right? no,
0: I, that's absolutely. I mean, He's like 5 games into a career. Like yeah, it, yeah absolutely. Um but it's a, it's weird. It, I, that's my favorite thing. It's like weird basketball. So, um I think it's really interesting to watch and speculate about
2: stuff like that.
0: Sorry, I took you completely off course again, John.
2: <laughs> no, sorry, right. I'm done. I'm done with my stuff.
0: Oh. I don't even really want to go through all mine cuz it's too much. Like um and you guys kind of hit on everything I think that i
1: i just want to briefly cycle through the slides
0: yeah Yeah. i mean the first part is just the the intro he was just kind of what is he you know talking about um he talked about like the international you know how international competition um um you know can like spur on change within the game. He talked about the KD thing, about the heels, like um, Kyle Korber asking KD, like, well, what do you do when you're in a slump? And KD said, I find my heels. I feel my heels when I'm shooting. Or let me see. Sorry if I'm tabbed out. Uh, so I was talking to Kevin Durant. I asked people from time to time, good shooters, when you're off, what is the thing you go back to? Not that I ask everybody, just from time to time, you just talk to someone and ask. And Kevin Durant said, "I need to be in my heels. So when I'm in my heels, I'm stronger. I want my heels to be solid on the ground as I'm shooting. And um, that, like, was something that they, you know, he went back to again in Kyle Korver chapter, um, where he was talking about how um, Kyle using that technique actually like helped him." helped him with his bad knee like it helped started fixing his knee when he would like lean back on his heels when he was shooting yeah that stuff better uh so the fact that they were thrown together by like international competition sort of spurred on something for a singular player right and then he also talks about how um they steal plays from other teams like they like they were doing like a Bogut slingshot on um, Australia, I think was doing a Bogut slingshot where they'd have somebody come around and they would use Bogut as like a a leverage and then they would sling off of him and they were going too fast so nobody could tag him. Um, And and so they were talking about how like the, um, I think it was the Warriors stole that when they got Bogut so that stuff was interesting, you know. And again, he talks about it later with the younger kids going to FIBA and being an international um, ball. And it was fun watching like Chet, Wemby, Kenneth Lofton Jr. all competed against each other in 2019. Like that was one of those teams that you can look back on and go like, "Oh, interesting. Like, was there stuff there that would have, you know, that'll work now?" Kind of thing. Um, and then I, I thought, like, I just. You know, it's more of like an anecdotal kind of book, I thought, then he's not like describing the exact technologies or the exact systems. It's more like using like stories of the stars to like explain them, which I think is both like effective and not effective in some way i mean
1: i don't think you can go that detailed into this kind of stuff though i especially mean
0: especially if it's pri- proprietary yeah and... all the
1: stuff all the all the real information is, yeah. is all held by the teams they don't want to share any of it um, which 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 brings like there there's a lot of things that are i hate that so much is just like private knowledge this is not just a like a, a sports analytics issue, but just like it extends to so many things in life. And it's, it's all really frustrating to me.
0: Well, it's funny because, like, I think uh, there's some lawsuit going on right now. I think it's the Knicks are suing the Raptors or the opposite. I don't know which way it goes. Actually, I think it's the Raptors are suing the Knicks. I don't know because one of their coaches went to a new team and took, like, team data but the team data that they took is like shit. you can download from synergy yeah so it's just the team profile that they took but they're suing saying like oh you guys have proprietary information about our team right yeah which it crosses a weird line too of like it's a coach who used to work in your office so of course we do we have intellectual property right of this person's brain who actually worked for you, but at the same time, I think they, they're they looking at it like, you have something material that we can actually sue you over. it will be interesting to see how that works out. Um, because the they were saying like the lawsuit is kind of weird, like how can you sue somebody for using a tool that all the teams pay for, yeah. right? And this is stuff that you could just look up yourself if you had the right prompts but they're basically suing because this person took their prompts with them. Uh, And okay. So then the next part is the history of modern basketball analytics. I found this chapter pretty interesting too, mostly because he goes over a lot of people that I had not heard of before.
2: Yeah.
0: And like, at this point we've read so many analytics books that I was, I'm always surprised when the, the history part is different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it was really interesting like the Louis Guth part was interesting where he again let me point out Moses Malone is in this book (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have no idea why Moses Malone is in every single book but he taught where Louis Guth like figured out that Moses Malone's rebounding would fit perfectly on the 76ers right so whatever Louis Guth's like system was that he was figuring that out with I don't think that's like that complicated like they need rebounding here's the best rebounder in the game hey you could probably get him you know it's not that far of a stretch um and then he just named off a bunch of other guys like the dean smith stuff i thought was really interesting um so dean smith was sort of the original originator of the ppp stuff and pace adjusted and um attempted to make some single player value metrics and then bill james is the baseball one so he's the money ball one right um but the response to James was like um Roland Beach and Dean Oliver um etc so and then it kind of went into people that we have talked and read about in other books uh Some of these metrics that they're coming up with, I thought were really interesting. Here's a Moses Malone stuff. Um, And I can't remember who's this one was Pythagorean winning percentage, which used run differential to establish what a team's record should be versus what it actually was. And win shares, which was a catch-all statistic designed to gauge a player's contribution to his team's success, allowing for cross position and cross era comparisons of players. So that's like based on the Bill James Moneyball stuff. But it was for basketball right um and then the data collection like we've already talked about all this stuff the sport view is a, probably like the biggest advance in being able to collect a lot of this data too like all the pick and roll stuff obviously you could sit there and go through play by play if you wanted to um and pick it out that way but the sport view and being able to pick it out visually is really um was a massive innovation right and then now they're actually looking at introducing hawkeye onto basketball courts as well i just read an article um about hawkeye like stacking on Sportview and hawkeye would be more like they use for tennis like it'd be more about the speed of stuff and um individual kind of impact and statistics that way um and then all the company stuff. second spectrum the the second spectrum stuff i thought like got a little dramatic like i don't know he kind of dissed them at the end of it a little bit where he said there was like some drama of like employees leaving and blaming each other and i don't know that that was bizarre um i think all teams use this stuff now right they all use synergy they don't have that they maybe even don't have an in-house guy crunching all this stuff because they don't need it. It's it's being done for them.
1: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few organizations trying to make this all in-house. You know, that's how companies are. They don't want to they see the bill and they don't want to pay the bill. they hire.
0: Yeah, maybe so. It. Um or like it talks about how some of them tried to try to like keep other clubs from using it, right? Or like make it so they couldn't use it yeah um but it's like a service you know so i don't i don't know i think that's such a complicated part of like the the data revolution is that it's essentially like civilian you know and so all these things that are um created are a product right so your product has to be efficacious if you want to sell it, obviously. Um, And then I just, the Sacramento stuff, the Sacramento's journey to wonk and back is illustrated in an exploration of how analytics move through an organization and how many things can derail them. Um, And he just went through all the D'Alessandro stuff. And, and I think he, that. Ended right after Mike Malone was fired, right? Is that where that ended?
2: Well, I think he did kind of a uh, follow through into Vladdy's hiring. Oh, yeah. He's leaving, Malone yeah. left, and you know. Yeah.
0: And then he sort of left it like, we'll see what happens now.
2: <laughs> oh, I think in, even Dean Oliver being shoved out the door and Roland Beach coming in. Yeah.
0: And Roland so, Beach but, coming in. Yeah. So that right. was a
2: little bit further along, too, but.
0: Yeah. So that did not go well. Uh, I don't know if
2: you
0: <laughs> uh, And then the Stan Van Gundy quote, no, I like the analytics. I thought the, the part where they talked to Stan Van Gundy about, um, well, first of all, I think Stan Van Gundy is such an interesting character in the NBA, you know, pantheon of coaching uh, because he's in on he's been on both sides of the analytics. Like we've read about him, with the orlando team that shot tons and tons of threes the dwight howard orlando team that was really good and then he was the coach of that horrible detroit team that was um in the other book that was so bad and they had zero three-point shooting so i think he's interesting in that sense but i also think like what he had to say about analytics was interesting and they talked about how he was at one of the, the um sloan business conferences And sort of pushed back on a lot of it and and so no i like the analytics i think analytics are very helpful i think there are some people who think the analytics are everything i don't think that i think it's a big part of the puzzle i think you have to give a lot of credence to what the analytics say but it can't be the only thing you have so i thought that was good um and then we kind of went through like you know uh, the load management stuff i think we've really talked about that uh importance of depth and then he went through like the 76ers um and using a good system with bad players in it and of course houston which is in like every single book that we read the the hardened houston stuff uh, and then the the Battier, um under, so, Batty understands from a player standpoint how potentially harmful this could be. And I think I feel like I cut off part of that somehow. Sorry. Um, where was I? Oh. Th- so battery air understands from a player standpoint, how potentially harmful this could be for every instance where a player can stave off injury or find out some predisposition to a potentially lethal condition like Marfan, there could, there are situations where data could be used against a player and many don't want all that personal information in the hands of their employers. Like I, I, I think that's a really good, uh, point to make especially since we know like a lot of players like smoke pot you know or smoke pot after games or like um so there's a lot of things that employers could find out about employees that's proprietary you know or that's private and personal and that they shouldn't be able to know so i just um the trend is definitely towards like maximizing all this biometric data i know that like even the the practice the okc um account like you know uh put out pictures of their practice team and they all had like what looked like a sports draw basically but it's like a data collection um that they wore while they were working out um and like i said like even the the sixers were like no you can't travel with the team because all of your data collection is at the practice facility right so
1: Yeah. I mean, the biometrics is one of those things that have kind of gotten democratized since this book is written. Like, you know, everyone has these like Apple watches that are like 300 bucks and all these bajillion sensors. So I think a lot of this stuff has been a little normalized lately. Um, Just having more data information. But but this this conversation is still interesting because this data should be belonged to the players.
0: I also um, think that it becomes like an issue potentially where like the players' association could step in and say like we're not okay with you knowing this this and this you know what I mean like or I I, I mean that's the best kind of example I can think of I I feel like it's information so okay so I have a, a 23andMe account right I, yeah. I put my DNA into a 23andMe account. Now, if you want to go further than that, say you want to like um, register your DNA to get matched against like a missing person, you have to upload it to a different place, right? You Mm -hmm. can't do that through like nobody has the proprietary or they, they don't have access at 23andMe. And when you sign up for 23andMe, you do not sign anything that says like I give permission to share my DNA, you know, in the case of missing persons or whatever like that you you would take your raw dna that they translate for you and you would upload it to like another place um i think it's called ged match or something like that and it like it lists it out in a different way so that genealogists when they're looking for like jane and john does and stuff like that they can go find it in that database if you have submitted it there right Mm -hmm. because that is the specific purpose of that database and when you submit there, you sign something saying, I'm submitting this. I'm, I'm sure this it. is
1: all in the, the contracts that you guys signed, right? Yeah. But yeah. I'm sure these teams want this information, so they don't, they'll include it in their contracts, right? No,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah. And then the reason why I'm going off on this um, is because I, I have a son who has a genetic disorder. And 23andMe constantly pings me to trace this and i'm like that is his fucking medical record i am not like and the farm pharmacological company you know the pharmacology companies are working on cures for all of these things right now they're working on dna-based cures so that information can actually be not just valuable in terms of informationally but it can be economically valuable. It can cause prejudice against somebody. Like, so it's, I think it's a really, really complex yeah. consideration, especially since we are on the eve of, like, we just treated the first pandemic with a DNA based vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so we're on the very eve of what I think will be an explosive use of uh of this knowledge right of genomic um science to treat and understand especially diseases better but in terms of players you know if you have some random chromosomal anomaly that doesn't make that much difference you wouldn't want that to necessarily be public right
1: yeah
0: um so anyway sorry for that's getting really wonky about that Um, and then yeah the load management stuff was just fascinating interesting i think it'll be really relevant for this season like i said um this was just a quote about you know he just picks random numbers but where he says like that's what he could do That he could do like five thousand and it's like an individual metric for each player, which I don't think I was understanding as much either, but it has all that other information sort of embedded in it, like age, injury history. Um, Probably, I mean, I wonder if efficacy figures into it at all. Like this guy is phenomenal when he plays 32 minutes, you know what I mean? But if he plays 35, shit starts going wonky or whatever it is, who knows? But. I I do think that the discussion was really fascinating. And then it sort of like increased my understanding of it's an individual metric per player and it's including all of these external factors, not just their time on the floor, but their practice time, their travel time, um, et cetera. I feel like we talked about that pretty well already. Um, I wish, I wonder if I, I don't think I did, but, um, oh, so this is the quote that Stan Van Gundy said about Tom Thibodeau too, which again, I thought like was a really interesting and revealing is kind of pushing back on this idea that like all loaded management is good. And like, we know what's best for our players, but he's saying, Like, I think it's one of those things that when people get on a guy like Tom Thibodeau about overplaying people, the part they're missing out is that they're assuming that if those guys did less, they would still execute at both ends the same way. And I don't buy that. One of the reasons they're as good as they are and execute the way they are is that they spend more time at it than other people. So I thought that was just a really interesting, um, you know, like, you don't want to stop practicing because someone's at their load if they still don't understand the concept. Like You <laughs> need your team to understand the concepts you're pushing, right?
2: Well, it's kind of a balancing act then, right? It's got a balance between overloading them and not getting the experience, the reps to do the plays yeah. or do the, just know each other well enough to play yeah. together. Yeah.
0: I think there's so like tom thibodeau still like is probably the most criticized coach in the league for overplaying his guys and then also nick nurse gets it a ton um so i'll be interesting to see because nick nurse is a philly coach now and there's a new coach in toronto so like if i were parsing out that data i would try and like identify the difference between the maximum minutes the Toronto guys were playing and what they're playing now. And if there's a difference in efficacy, right. In efficiency Um, and in injuries and stuff like that, because that's the other thing about Nick nurse's Toronto team is Pascal OG. um, You know, I mean, they, they both have suspect in uh, injury histories, not suspect, but they, they weren't always healthy. Let's put it that way. Um, so did their load affect that? I don't know. And then now, this all the the future perfected players. They did all the Kentucky stuff with the platooning and stuff, which made me think of what Mike Brown was doing in the preseason for the Kings, where he was just bringing in five guys, five guys, five guys, <laughs> like, and it, they were they were not mixing them up or like staggering them at all. Um, and I think he was doing that on purpose to evaluate you know, the effect of it. But, um, anyways, I mean, that was just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. But is interesting. I, I, I think it's just interesting to see different stuff, you know, Yeah. Like teams trying different schemes and cause it's, you know, good for the game to see, see if things work or not.
0: I mean, again, in here in the college stuff, there's a lot of talk about being able to Use and evaluate, like they have even less money than the NBA, right? So, and they have a wider range of talent. So, if you have a coach who's looking at data that they can't interpret, it's kind of pointless, you know. But if you have, like, a, part of the Kentucky story too was that they brought in an anal- analytics guy to help um, present and interpret the data in a way that was understandable. Uh, which I think all teams, again, all teams probably have that now. Um, and then the P three stuff, fantastic. That was probably my favorite part. Um, and the prescription stuff. And like I said, I'm a big fan of physical therapy. Um, my husband just, like after surgery, went to acute physical therapy place, and um, it, it was. It's just. A, extremely you know efficacious in in my experience so this is along the same lines of like but they're doing it they're doing it a pre-prescription right they're they're doing it to address something that could become a problem not something that is a problem and you need to get it better they're saying oh you you know you favor your left side so we're going to have you do all these right side exercises so that you don't blow your knee out or whatever um, and then the suns training stuff suns training team stuff is legendary and i've heard that before i knew that about Shaq that his ankles were completely gone and he went to the suns and they were able to get him um able to play games again and he he you know, played a significant number of games that year, and same with Grant Hill. Um, so I found that to be really interesting.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important. I think um, you know, if they want to spend money, if the Kings have money to spend, I mean, there's no salary cap on stuff like P3 and um,
0: yeah, and no, scouting and analytics.
2: You know, I mean, you can you can't you can't buy up a whole bunch of 50 million dollar players, but you can spend as much as you want on these things. So. And
0: money. on physical therapy, on trainers, right, like on, right? I mean, which is part of the coaching staff, maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that the Kings won the best trainer training staff, or I don't know what the exact award was, is encouraging, but you wonder how much of it was just that they kept the team. Well, I guess they didn't keep the team healthy. They kept them playing through injury. Right. I mean, there still was broken fingers and, um, so, okay. So blah, blah, blah. We talked about this already, the Vlade stuff pre Vlade. Um, and the path of data in an organization is only valuable if it can potentially reach its end goal um yeah uh and then the, this one really stuck out to, stuck out to me and I know we've read it in a bunch of other books too like the thinking basketball and stuff like that but that good teams win by a lot (laughs) right good teams blow other teams out good teams have a huge margin um and they usually rank really high in offensive defensive and pace um and then he gives like this big rundown on the Warriors and how they were like first in offense first in defense um and close to the top in pace um whoops and then this is where the atlanta discussion happens as well which i found the atlanta discussion to be really interesting because um it was Wes wilcox number one they had a no star system which i think obviously we have a star in De'Aaron, but we have like to me we have like a hybrid system it hasn't really been working that great the last couple games but um and then it's like a dho based multiple playmaker system right which is it fell apart in the playoffs and then there was like a bunch of stuff that happened behind the scenes with like Danny Ferry and um people getting busted for being racist basically um and so there was a ton of like turnover after this great team And I think Bud even was like moved on to a whole new team after it. But I found the discussion really interesting. Um, And this is where they talk more about Kyle Korver and what he can do, and the fact that he was also a really good playmaker at that point. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Seeds of Bud's approach cribbed from pace, space and shooting approach fashioned by the latest teams started to get planted during his initial campaign in 1314 but a season-ending injury to de facto center Al Horford the team's MVP Portman's Duncan in terms of his understated impact on both ends help undermine that season getting Horford back in 1415 was huge but all the players having a second season in bud system created a multiplier effect that made the Hawks into a surprising force So I put this in here because I read it and I thought, God, I hope that happens for the Kings.
2: (laughs) Exactly what I thought when just reading that. Now,
0: Now, having said that and after having watched the game yesterday, it's kind of like, ah, seriously. But um, I still have hope. (laughs) And I am a little concerned about the changes that they've made to the system and the fact that they haven't added in any, like, you know, like there's no one coming back from injury, um, kind of thing. But like, we'll see. Obviously. Yeah,
1: I, I think the most notable change this year is just Keegan's increased role in it. You know how he yeah. did, trying to make him do stuff that he wouldn't have tried before. But I mean, the, yeah, the, no, the last point. the last game really was they're trying to put a. A, a square peg into a round hole dear dear uh, Deere, uh, Deere, uh Deere and fox is a different player than uh mitchell so like the the game style didn't work out when the starters were disastrous without fox um uh, i mean I, I hope they just slide monk up in the starting line in the future i mean
0: <laughs> i i honestly think that this happened last year though too yeah I remember yeah. the game in um Indiana when they started David because I think De'Aaron was having a baby
1: yeah or
0: he was in Houston or something um and they started Davion and the same thing happened where the starters could not shoot a fucking brick in the you know ocean like they can't it's not just Dearon's gravity though it yeah possibly be just Darren's gravity I don't think I think well, it's it's, it's that, pace
1: the the last yeah like, the the Davion's incredible and he's been playing great as a starter, but then his slower pace slowed down the game for everyone else. They they're not getting as good looks and
0: our game yesterday was like almost unwatchable.
1: It, it was. It was, yeah.
0: Um yeah, and I don't I, I don't like I'm the biggest Davion Mitchell fan there is, but he's not been good this year in my opinion, thus far, because he hasn't been able to defend without fouling. So that's automatically a failed defensive possession if it ends in a foul in foul shots right yeah and then additionally um he's had a lot of turnovers for the minutes that he's played Mm -hmm. now i thought he played fantastic in the warriors game where he started but you're right the pace and and i don't know if it's just him i think colby also is that slower pace um and they had colby running the second unit so anyways We'll see what ends up happening. Um,
1: They'll figure it out. Well, yeah, I, oh, no, I hope I, they figure it out. I it mean, all of like this
0: solves are. itself if guys are making shots too. Yeah, I mean, to me, yeah. that's like the biggest part of it is nobody could could like buy a three point shot, including Houston, which made it that much more frustrating to watch. Is like this team. That is their career was guys. so ugly. You, you're beating yourselves by just absolutely like not figuring something else out besides. You know, I mean, and they couldn't, they literally, like, couldn't chase anything on the perimeter down to defend it, like, at all. Um, Which kind of started with Harrison, sadly. But anyways, okay, moving on. (laughs) Um, Hopefully there are brighter, brighter days. Uh, And then... So, and then I thought this was also interesting in terms of the gravity. I know we've talked about gravity, like, again, thinking basketball, talk about gravity and what the effect of it is. And I do think that De'Aaron's gravity has a massive effect, like yesterday, on them being able to make those initial three-point shots. It's not necessarily even about being wide open, it's about, having guys focused on something totally different right in the game so poor sport view data core right at the absolute top of the nba in terms of highest gravity score meaning that his primary defender leaves him to help defensively less than any other player in the league even if corver doesn't get the ball in a possession the defense is effectively stuck chasing him around and defending the rest of the hawks Four on four, which provides more space and creates additional headaches for the opponent and their defensive coverages. Again, like this is kind of why I said stuff as like an extension of this perfected player, like you can't not guard stuff, right? He probably has like the most gravity in the modern game of basketball um, that there is, right? Uh, so and and I do think it's a, it makes a big difference especially in a pace game a pace and space game uh i don't even know what this one is oh i just what are you saying like there's all these different ways to like make a good team and to find good talent right and good teams use all of them so they draft well they develop well they trade for good fits they um and they find perfect free agents and like this goes back to sort of the Chris Middleton thing and mid-range shooting. Miles, I'm doing a podcast. Can you not blow your nose right there? Oh, sorry, my son is sick. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't even think that like all te- all good teams are even good at all of these. Like, um, but I do think being hitting on a couple of them can make a huge difference you know for
1: yeah
0: um like drafting clay for instance can make a gigantic difference in terms of like the long-term success of a team uh they talked a lot about like these kind of like uh stars and their role kind of players like bogut middleton harden well harden is really a a superstar um he talked about boot Being like that perfected, um, like the embodiment of the stats that he was talking about before, the embodiment of those college stats, the rebounding percentage, and the blocks. And then he was just coming into the league. So he was saying, this guy looks like he's going to be really, you know, efficient, um, according to this evaluation model. And then he talked a lot about Channing Frye, whose career probably like took a, quite a dive after a clip right after this book came out. Um, but still Channing Fry was really good. Channing Fry is actually like a, I think he's an assistant coach on Dallas right now, and he's working with Derek Lively, I just saw, which is kind of cool. Um uh so yeah, then the the shot blocking, rebounding, and assists is the most translatable stat from college. And I think it's Channing Fry who he talks to in this chapter about like figure out what your niche is and then get better at it, right? If your niche on the team is rebounding, just be the best rebounder you can be, right? And how he he talks about it, about getting paid. Like if you can find the stat that's your stat and then you can market it, you can basically make a lot of money in the NBA, even though you're not a star, right? Uh, but you can do the thing that like, you know, other people are not good at on the team. Kyle Korver, I think we've talked about a lot, but so many of these things, it's like some random thing, an injury, a mistake, some random guy, some random girl, whatever, like led to massive change, you know? So for him, it was this tennis elbow, like he couldn't play basketball because he, his knee, he got like a, injection in his knee or something like that so he went and shot tennis balls and he got tennis elbow so he had to keep his elbow in when he was shooting so he changed his whole shooting form to adjust to this random thing that happened but it made him a better shooter so he sort of like got obsessed with like what are these little tweaks that you can do to like just make you that much better right and like um so I, and then the anecdotes that he told about like his family Christmas game where they would always do the extra pass and the coach that yelled at him because uh, he didn't step back a step to take a three instead of a two um, and the P3 stuff after he had an injury. And so it's like I, exactly like you said, John, like taking advantage of all of the avenues that are available to you to maximize your potential. Um And then the very last was the Warriors, the Warriors coming out to play. And this, I think I've already, we already pretty much said like the part that I found most interesting about this was the talk about LeBron's load during this series. And then they, they, he talks about how they replaced uh, Bogut with Andre Iguodala, because the guy who was like playing music at the practices was like, well, why don't you just, why don't you just put somebody in who can move? Who can like guard uh, who they're playing, and so they just put Andre Iguodala in, and and that was like the answer. Like, and then Bogut played like three minutes in the whole series, and from there on out, the Warriors went on to win it. They won like every game after that after they slotted uh, Andre in over Bogut and like got rid of the big man which is the modern sort of like small ball thing so i thought this was interesting partially because it gave iguodala a lot of credit over in some of the other books it's been draymond um, which i'm sure it's a combination right but um i just thought it was interesting in that sense that might be all i have yeah and that's the whole book Phew, sorry <laughs> talked okay. about lot. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was a little dry. Um, yeah. Not as much of a, like an engaging narrative as of most of the other books that, you know, the story books that we've been reading, but I still think it had a really interesting, relevant information that I'm, I'm thinking about as I'm watching basketball, I guess.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Any last thoughts?
1: kind of glad to be done with it to be honest
0: yeah i i i read it in like 25 page increments and i finished it early but it was a bit of a slog for sure yeah oh. the,
1: the beginning of that book was really rough i did basically didn't want to read it um
0: yeah
1: yeah but
0: i can't imagine listening to it to me like listening to something like this would be even worse like
1: yeah yeah it was terrible
0: because you can't like for yeah. me, like I, I've had so much going on in the background of my life, like right now, That at least when I'm reading, I can like zone out on it a little bit. And like when I'm, I guess when you're listening, you can too, actually. No, but when when I'm, listening, too I'm usually you're like,
1: driving what? when I'm, when I'm, I go through these books while I'm driving. Oh,
2: that's that's
1: yeah. why I listen to audiobooks? Um, yeah. so, so yeah, zone out, listen, pay attention to that while staring at the road. Um, and it's and that's why I generally prefer the, the storybooks because it's something to keep my, my mind going when I'm stuck in traffic. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this one was just, like, weirdly written. The, 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 it, well, not so much about it being dry, just so much as the way it was written in certain elements was just, like, you know, like, comes off as, like, an ad.
0: I I I totally agree the p3 stuff and the um the second spectrum synergy chapter those two chapters for me I was like is he trying to sell me this stuff or like what you know I mean I I appreciated it like I said more when there was like response to it later on in the book but yeah listening to it like off the top I was like and why is he I like the, the whole thing about like oh just go up from Stern's Wharf and and there you are at P three. That's like
1: overly detailed in parts. <laughs> it doesn't need to be detailed at all.
0: Yeah, what? <laughs> like, I'm not like driving there. Like, uh, anyways. Uh, well, what do you guys? Do you guys have any ideas for next one? If you want to do a next one,
2: uh, um, my uh, my idea in general is uh, some kind of story type. I agree the ones I want to avoid. Of course, we're not going to do an analytics one. That's kind of our tradition. But um I also don't want to do one except for the book of basketball. I don't want to do a book that's kind of like yeah, that looks about right here. to me. Give ourselves some extra time. Yeah.
0: Or the tenth, the tenth, or the seventeenth.
2: I'm, I'm okay 17th.
1: with either.
0: Okay, seventeenth.
1: Yeah,
0: Let's do seventeenth. Okay. Blood in the Garden on the seventeenth.
2: Funny time.
0: Uh, I wish I could put this calendar in here somehow.
2: It's kind of interesting that Pat Riley's had a uh, three kind of three kind of versions of his himself. Of course, he was most. I guess he was. He's been mostly uh, now a GM at Miami over the course of his whole career there.
1: Yeah, but but everyone associates him with those Lakers teams, right? yeah I did. yeah yeah I guess he was most successful there you would say the uh five titles as <laughs> the 10th is the day after the in-season tournament ends, so probably probably better to do the 17th
0: okay okay that's a good point yeah I like having a little extra time too I I mean I'm, I read fast, and I've been reading, like I said, in, like, 25-page increments, but um, I just have a lot of shit going on over the holidays and stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. What? Okay, we're good. I will make the event and share it with you guys. And, um, yeah, thank you.
1: Sounds good. I'd love to do these. These are always fun
0: i totally agree i think they are a blast yeah and i i feel like i've learned so freaking much oh uh, yeah okay my... cool night guys night okay. see night. you in a month and a week <laughs> or something like that yeah
2: all right yeah